Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Thank you for testimony. Uh, uh, thank you for everyone who's here this morning. Uh, I want to just continue to worship today, and I want to just us to pray, and let's come together and let's uh, pray together and ask God to continue to teach us today and continue to let us uh, understand and hear from him today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Oh God, thank you so much for how you love us. And Lord Jesus, you, uh, you're intimately involved in our lives to every detail. Uh, Lord, you provide for us. Lord, we give you praise this morning. We thank you that uh, it's you who helps us to understand and to interpret. So, Lord, we ask, God, that you would just help us to hear you this morning uh, as we continue to worship you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We, uh, last week, uh, dealt with uh, an exciting topic of lust, if you were here. Uh, if you were not here last Sunday, uh, then I encourage you to, to go back and you can read that, listen to it on YouTube, or go back to a Facebook channel and, and listen to it. But I encourage you to do that. We're going through a series of church of asking this question of what does love require from us? And what does it look like as believers to truly love like God wants us to love? And today's topic is uh, another hot topic. So fasten your seatbelts. And uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about what love looks like in the context of marriage. And uh, this is uh, an applicable sermon uh, even if you're single. All right, but if you're newly married, really pay attention. Uh, what does love look like in marriage as, as, married, as married children of God? And so if we're married this morning and you're a child of God, our behavior uh, does not need to be filtered through our indigenous culture, but through our new identity as children of God and through the purpose of God to bring all men to himself. I want to repeat that as, as we consider our role in marriage, our behavior in marriage does not need to be filtered through our indigenous culture, but through our new identity as children of God and, and through the purposes of God to bring all men to himself. So we look at our marriage, we need to understand, and, and marriage itself is that our culture has placed on marriage so many different types of ways that marriage should, should happen and, and behave. Marriage has been with us from the beginning of time. And cultures have uh, expressed that. And there's so many traditions and, and cultural norms that are associated with marriage and, and how the marriage bond should be lived out. Many of those are not from God. Many of those are expressions of, of sinful culture. Sinful man uh, placing his desires, his passions, and, and desire for pleasure onto that incredible institution. By the way, that is from God. But on that institution that God is an ordained institution from God, but culture has placed their desires onto that institution. So we really have to, when we get married, and even if we're not married, we have to go to uh, Scripture. We've got to hear from God to see what He wants, what He desires for us to be like in the context of marriage. So I want to encourage you this morning as we continue just to walk through this together that you ask yourself the question, um, or, or, uh, or rather, uh, 
that you open up your hearts this morning to a new idea. You may be looking at yourself and your marriage and considering this idea, well, I, we, it works great for us, great. If it works for you, fantastic. But is it possible that, that you have laid on to your marriage what doesn't need to be there? Uh, potentially, you're not actually living out God's perfect design for your marriage. And you could actually have a better marriage if you're married this morning. And if you're anticipating marriage, you might even look forward to being married someday if you see it in terms of how God wants this thing to be set up, this thing called marriage. There are two passages that I want to pop up for you as we begin. Uh, I promised you last week we would, talk, we would be in Matthew 5. Today, in terms of marriage, we're going to deal with Matthew 5, but not as much as I'd like to look at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, which breaks down how the relationship between husbands and wives actually operate. So let's, let's look at this. Matthew 5, verse 31. Jesus says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's just move straight and segue into 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if, if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart and the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children... If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to your woman, uh, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, or heirs, no, heirs with you of grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So I wanted to put these together because both of these verses really... Uh, uh, rub people wrong sometimes. And I feel let's, let's put them together and let's see what we can do with both of these passages. I do enough weddings to know how this passage impacts potential, <laughs> potential brides, especially. Uh, I have this uh, tradition that if I'm doing the wedding, uh, I will send them a document that shows sort of a typical wedding that I'll, that I'll do. And I always preface it with this. This is the wedding that this is a, a sort of a basic outline of the wedding that I would like to do for you since you've invited me to do your wedding. I do Christian weddings. That's also part of my intro. And I said, so, and I will be sharing the gospel in your, wet, your ceremony. I just want you to know that up front. So read through the document and come back to me. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 is always in my document that I give to them. So they take it home, they read it, and then we set up a time later for us to come together. Always, always when we come back together, there's this hesitation about 1 Peter 3. So you want 1 Peter 3 in there? Well, it's... And there's, this, there's always a conversation that ensues. <clears throat> Typically, I'm asked this. Uh, can we leave that passage out? Or... If you, if you make reference to that passage, just read it, but don't talk about it. So, all right? 
uh, <laughs> I've been asked to avoid the passage altogether. And the reason is this, is because when you read that passage, uh, very often men and women both who read that passage get stuck on the woman's part there uh, of submission without reading verse 7 of uh, 1 Peter 3 about the man's role, the husband's role in marriage. There's some really strong comments in verse 7, and we'll get to that later this morning. But uh, it's a mutual submission kind of a thing. But let, let's go back. So the woman's perspective. Women, and by the way, more than ever before as a white older man, my perspective on women is, is, is less and less. Every day, my opinion is less received uh, because of, of who I am, just because I'm, a, I'm an older white guy. Uh, so as you listen to me this morning, if you could just let, let Scripture speak. Uh, to us this morning, and if you allow me to be a vessel of God's voice this morning, I would be honored. Women do not want to be controlled. I think most women here would agree with that. Women do not want to be controlled. Women do not want to be enslaved. I think we would all say amen to that. Women do not want to be trapped. Women do not want to be abused. I think those are easy, understandable comments. We get that. Men are the same. They also don't want to be controlled, enslaved, trapped, or abused. But often they see marriage as, as, a, as, a, as finally a place where, where they have a person who does their bidding. Anything they ask from cleaning to sexual gratification. In many ways, men are getting married thinking that they are acquiring a legal slave. I'm just telling you what a lot of guys think. They wouldn't say that to you while you're dating. <laughs> By the way, I can't wait to get married to you because I can't wait for you to do everything I ask you to do. I don't know many women who would say, yes, I can't wait to get married. But for a lot of guys, that's kind of their cultural expectation, right? They're saying, gosh, I can't wait to get married because I know. Because she also knows our culture. And she, if she's saying yes to marriage... Wow, as soon as we get married, man, this is going to be great for me. This is for the mark, uh, most part, not, not how they relate to dating, but how they expect things to change in marriage. I want to tell you, if you come into marriage like that, you're setting yourself up for failure. And if you, if you, if you are married like that today, you're having trouble in your marriage. That's a fact. Unless the wife is just like unbelievably over-the-top submissive and does all of your bidding. But it's not a healthy relationship. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. It's important that we look at the word likewise here. This is in context, and I want us to look at this passage in context. And it's important that we dive deep on this, because there's just so many misinterpretations. There's so many roads that people take on this in, in wrong ways. I think it's important we see this passage in the context of the whole letter uh, that Peter wrote. This is in a context, more than likely, Peter's writing to people who've been persecuted, okay? So this 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 context is in context of, of Peter writing to many people who are living in situations that they did not choose under authority that they would not otherwise choose for themselves. They're living in context of uh, very often abusive situations. But the letter begins, 1 Peter 1, of course, of 
Peter actually affirming and congratulating uh, the, the followers of Christ who probably uh, had been part of the Acts 8 dispersion of believers that we read about in Acts chapter 8 where they had been persecuted and these believers had been dispersed. And so to those believers now who've experienced persecution, he's writing this letter. And then he begins the letter by saying, well done, you have, you've suffered much and your, your faith has been refined because of the persecution that you've endured. Just to give you kind of a quick summary of what he says in that first chapter, he says, your faith is being refined. And he says that your faith, which is like gold, is being refined. He says, even though you haven't seen God, you love God. He says, even though you don't see him now, you still believe in him and you live with inexpressible joy and are filled with God's glory. He says, you're obtaining the salvation, the goal of salvation for your souls. Basically, what Peter begins the letter with is saying, you're being persecuted. I realize that you're in difficult times, but you're getting it done. You're living with an inexpressible joy. Your faith is being refined. You're receiving the goal of your salvation. Things are going well for you because you are faithful to God. He's commending them. He begins the letter by saying, well done, fantastic. Uh, look at you. He goes on to talk about these different contexts of which people were living in. He makes references to Gentiles living in democracies, some living in governments and dictatorships, but living under authority and authority structures uh, that were not necessarily ones that they would have chosen for themselves. He writes the letter to men who are living with people they don't want to live with, living in places they don't want to live in. That's what the whole letter of 1 of, of Peter deals with. And he says, submit to every human institution. That's what the letter begins with. Submit to the emperor. Submit to the local government. He also in his letter, refers to men who are living as slaves. Men living as slaves. He says, uh, some of you are living with good owners and some of you are living with cruel owners, but behave properly in that context so that they will see Jesus. And then, 1 Peter 3, he talks about women living with unsaved husbands. That's the context of 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Men in authority... He's saying, operate in love. Men and women who are not in authority, he's saying to them, this is how you function in a place that you didn't choose to live in. Further, he's saying to them, you're living in a place where you have no control. You still need to operate and live in the context of God's love. Everyone with me so far? Great. Fantastic. We're going to dive in a little bit deeper here. Let's look at this passage then, 1 Peter 3, and let's look at uh, verses 1 through 2, and uh, then we're going to just walk through this passage. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Really, if you look at this passage, you need to realize that it's written uh, about the character of of the people in the context of places they did not choose for themselves. Living in authority structures and, and places they otherwise may not have chosen for themselves. And he's speaking to the character of the wives. He's speaking to the character of the husbands. What he's not doing is, is talking about the character of society. In this letter, he's not trying to change society. He's trying to say, listen, 
those I'm writing to, this is about your character and how you should operate in the context of where you find yourself. That's what he's saying here. And let's be clear as we look at this passage. God does not condone evil behavior. God does not condone evil cultural, social structures. So this is not a letter approving of slavery. This is not a letter approving of abuse in marriage. This is not a letter written to people saying, hey, we like marriages that are horrible. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you find yourself in this context, how do you live out your life? Wives in this context would have been given to a man or sold to a man. You understand? Marriage in those days, if you are a woman in the marriage, you were even either given to that man or sold to that man. That's the context of which Jesus is writing about marriage, is in that kind of a cultural context. Rarely were women ever able to choose a man. They were seen as property. Women were owned without any rights. A common picture was a man on a donkey with his wife running beside him on foot trying to keep up with him. In that context, wives, he says, submit to your husband. In this sense, the wives were asked to make a choice. Control yourself. This is your choice. Live for the salvation of your spouse. Live for something higher than the context of which you find yourself in. That's what the verse says, right? Be subject to your own husband so that you can win them without a word. Inviting wives to see that they have a higher calling. Live for the salvation of your spouse. The goal of salvation is a higher goal than correcting your marriage or correcting evil cultural norms. If I do something only because you made me, I am not submitting. The wife could say, I now submit to you because I want you to see Jesus. I choose now to submit to you for something better than this marriage. I want you to see Christ. I realize that these are not easy words to hear. But life isn't easy. And anyone who tells you differently is lying to you. Jesus invites us in the context of this world, which is most of the time not easy, to live for something higher. He invites us to live as children of God and to operate in that context, that identity. How can I live as a child of God in my marriage? Well, I would live so that everyone in my family would actually see Jesus and be transformed by him. What an incredible purpose, right? An amazing purpose. Peter goes on to say, be, <laughs> let, let your beauty come from within, not from outside. He uses the word, this Im imperishable beauty, this beauty that does not fade. It's the same word used in 1 Peter 1 verse 4 in speaking about our hope and our salvation in Christ. This is this imperishable hope we have in Jesus Christ. It says, let that beauty that's based on the imperishable truth of Jesus Christ saving you, let that be your beauty. This imperishable beauty that, that comes from within. I want to tell you right now that outward beauty fades. I think all of us know that. Every time we look in the mirror, we're reminded. I'm not nearly as good looking as I used to be. It's just a fact, right? 
my mother-in-law has this wonderful thing she does. She says, just, you know, just accept where you are now because in a few years you'll be worse. Yeah. Cherish where you are now. Beauty fades. When there's not enough makeup, when there's not enough hair dye, when you can't afford any more extensions, when you're done with Botox and facelifts and lotions, what makes you gorgeous? What makes you beautiful? is from the inner unfading beauty. Speaking of my mother-in-law, she's older now, she's in her 80s, and she's wrinkled. Her hair doesn't, doesn't obey her, her curling iron anymore, but she is gorgeous. Why? Because of this inward beauty of Christ that always shines through her demeanor. She, is, she has always been this person. She's gorgeous. God invites us to have this imperishable beauty, specifically wives, that your beauty would come from within, not from outside. Now, again, I don't think Peter is saying to you, <laughs> don't be pretty outside, you know. Peter is not saying stop taking care of yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's saying let your beauty come from within so that you can win your husbands without a word. Your actions are more powerful than your words. Most of the time, for people that you know, your words are more powerful than what you say. Your words are more useful to people who don't know you. Would you agree with that? The words we say usually are for people who don't know us. So we must use words so they can understand who we are. Your actions speak louder than your words to those who know you. Very, very often, there's been so many people who've said so many good things but their family doesn't believe one word they say because of how they behave. Your words are more powerful with people that you don't know, but your actions are more powerful with people who know you. A living hope in God. Let's look at verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Let me go ahead and read verse 6 as well. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good, to do not fear anything that is frightening. We live with our hope in God. We put our hope in Him, and that's what the invitation is for wives, is to live in that hope. I love the words of Jesus to His disciples when He was sitting them out. He says, don't fear, because God is, God is over all of any injustice that might happen to you. God is just, God is perfectly loving, God is all-powerful. And in the context of, of God and His sovereignty over everything, we live for Him instead of our context. And that's what he's inviting wives to do, is to live out their marriage with the living hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And he says, do good, submit to your husband, but do not live in fear. Look at verse 6 with me, if you would. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you call your husband Lord. Is that what it says? No. If you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. 
Now, the first time I read this, it caught me off guard. <laughs> I thought to myself, wow. I was expecting it, you know, just like Sarah, you know, called Abraham Lord, then you also, wives, should also call your husbands Lord. But it doesn't say that. It says, listen, do not fear anything, especially things that are frightening. I really believe what he's saying is if you live with somebody who's frightening, if you're married to someone who is scary, do not fear. As you place your hope in Christ, you can live in this peace. He's encouraging wives not to live in fear. Not to fear anything that is frightening. And let me tell you, an abusive, demanding husband is a frightening thing. Jesus is saying, Peter is saying the words of Jesus to us, to wives. He's saying, don't live in fear. In contexts that really are frightening, do not live in fear. I want to just segue into the elephant in the room. And that is the issue of abuse. And the issue of divorce. The, 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 the two topics we try to avoid at all costs. Uh, first of all, abuse. Abuse is common, uh, not just in Namibia, it's common around the world. Uh, it's not something that's just limited to this country, but abuse is very prevalent in society here. I think all of us are aware of that. It's the thing we don't like to speak about. And culturally, in a lot of cultures, cultures actually approve of this. It's not a question of what color of the skin you have. Abuse uh, is, is committed and done by people of all colors, of all languages. And it's not from the Lord. It is absolutely not from God. God is not asking you as a wife or a husband to live in an abusive situation. He's asking you to consider your position as a child of God and what it means for you, what God would have you do in that context. I've seen husbands and wives continue to be married to abusive wives and husbands because they feel like God wants them to stay there and continue to show the love of Christ in that context. Abuse is real, and uh, people have really suffered at the hands of abusive men and women. Now, I say men and women, whereas most of the time it's men abusing their wives or abusing their children, but we also know this is a fact that women also abuse their husbands. And women abuse their children. We know this is common in society. When it comes to divorce, Matthew 5 is clear. We read it earlier that a divorce is sanctioned by God if, uh, in the case of sexual immorality. Paul, uh, in 1 Corinthians, I don't, I'm not putting the verse up. I don't want to go into great detail here. But Paul, in the context of 1 Corinthians, says that Husbands and wives should fulfill their obligations to one another. And uh, Paul says that he, he speaks to the issue of that spouses can, uh, are, are okay in leaving and divorcing their spouse uh, if they've been abandoned by an unbelieving spouse. We can, we can break that down. I'd love to talk to you about this personally one-on-one if you, if you want to talk more about this. But... Uh, the bottom line is this, is that Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 5 that divorce should not be easy. And if we read this in context of a world where husbands very easily could divorce their wives, but women 
had no had no legal or otherwise cultural uh, freedom to divorce their husbands. And so what Jesus words here in Matthew 5, are Jesus is saying very clearly he's trying to protect women in this context. It's interesting and certain surprises that in Matthew 5, when he addresses the issue of divorce, he doesn't speak to women. Jesus speaks specifically to men, not women in Matthew 5. And he's saying, men... You you've easily have divorced your wives with the written notes. I say do not divorce and don't marry someone who's been divorced. In other words, don't make this easy. Don't think that marriage is light and a, a light commitment. Trying to protect women, I believe, is really the context of that passage. Jesus' command actually served to protect women from selfish husbands who sought to throw away their wives like trash. All New Testament writers and Old Testament writers would agree that divorce needs to be something that is your last option. Divorce should not be easy. We live in a society today that we have all kinds of easy reasons to divorce, and people just accept it as normal. Matter of fact, we've kind of legalized polygamy, where we just kind of rotate our, rotate our spouses. Yeah, I'm done. Let me get to, move on to the next one. And people, people get married, they get divorced, and this is a, a routine, it's a habit. And the, the, the institution of marriage is actually uh, not respected in any way. Divorce is legitimate when the requirements of God have not been met, when there's been a break in the covenant relationship in that marriage. Let me put it to you just, if I could summarize it, I would say this. When, what then are biblical grounds for divorce? If you look at all of Scripture in context, with the words of Jesus and the words of Paul and also writings throughout the New Testament and Old Testament, we can say that divorce is permitted but not required. Okay? Divorce is permitted but not required following violations of the marriage covenant, which I could summarize this way. So adultery, serious neglect, abandonment, and abuse. Adultery, serious neglect, abandonment, and abuse. Those are grounds, I think, biblical grounds for divorce. But if you're considering divorce today, I would ask you if you fall into one of those categories where this has happened to you, I would say make that decision very seriously. Don't make that quickly. It could be that God wants you to continue to be in that context so that you can actually lead your spouse, lead your family to to a, a, a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Our, again, our behavior does not need to be filtered through our indigenous culture, but through our new identity as children of God and through the purpose of God to bring all men to himself. If you look at uh, 2 Peter 2, and I have this verse for you up there, this is, what, this is what Peter, who wrote the first letter of Peter, says about us as children of God. This is what he says. You're a chosen race. So if you're sitting in a relationship where you're abused where it's not a place of your choosing, he said, but you're a follower of Christ, you're a child of God. He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are whose people? God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, what? Honorable. Honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. If you are a wife or a husband in a marriage that stinks, but you're a child of God, you need to see yourself as a sojourner, as an exile, but proclaiming the wonderful deeds of Christ to that Gentile you're living with. That was a joke, if you guys want to laugh at that. Don't call your spouse a Gentile. That really doesn't go over very well. All right. I have never called my wife a Gentile, ever, ever. Dan, I will not do that to you, ever. Yeah. How do I function in this place that I did not choose, a place that I have no control in? I live as a child of God. And I want to ask you this morning, if you're considering uh, different options other than the marriage that you're in, you're wondering where you should go, what next steps you should take, Go before the Lord and assess it biblically. How's my marriage? What's going on? But then ask God to show you how you should operate in the context as a child of God. Not as a wife or a husband, but ask, you, ask God, Lord, show me what I'm supposed to do here for you. That's really what needs to direct your marriage and how you operate in the context of marriage. But lest I ignore verse 7 of 1 Peter 3. We've been speaking about wives here. Let's look at men. Speaking to men. He says to men, you need to see yourselves as equal to your spouses, equal to your wives. God has a different plan for how marriage should work, different than how our culture operates. Let me read this for you here in verse 7. Likewise, it's a great word, same word that was used in verse 1, likewise. Likewise, husbands, in the context of everything I've said in this letter about men who are slaves submitting to their, their masters in context of, of men and women living in societies and cultures that they don't like, living under authority of governments that are not okay, men likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. The word here of understanding is listen in such a way to understand. Men, our job is to listen to our wives in a way that we can understand them. In other words, we shouldn't listen to them while listening to something else at the same time. We should listen to our wives. Men, we're asked to listen to our wives attentively, carefully. Now, I know a lot of men here are singing, but there are so many words. How can I catch... (laughs) All of these words. And again, men and women are designed differently, right? Very often, women have a lot to say, whereas men very often have, well, a little to say. When asked about men, what are you thinking, and they say nothing, they really are thinking about nothing. (laughs) Women, if you don't know that, you should learn that really quick. They truly have times, we have times in our life where there's just absolutely nothing going on up there. And we're okay with that, all right? We're not stressed that there's nothing happening upstairs. It's kind of relaxing. We are surprised when we hear women who are constantly thinking up there that nothing ever stops up here. That surprises men. Right, men? Yes, we're always surprised by that. 
Listen to your wives. Try to see life through their shoes. And he goes on to say, show them honor. Showing honor to women as the weaker vessel. Show honor to her as weaker. Not weaker in the sense that she's a, a lesser child of God, but as equal heirs of God's uh, inheritance that he gives to all children of God. Listen, both of us, men and women, men and women will be ruling with God. We'll be ruling the nations. We're this holy priesthood, right? Men and women, not just men. We're both children of God, and we identify as a child of God more so than even our gender. Paul went on to say, Paul said this very clearly. He said, listen, in Christ, there is no male or female. There's no slave or free. Once we become children of God, all of a sudden, who we are is a child of God instead of I'm a man or I'm a woman. And so when we come into that relationship, we operate as children of God, not from the perspective of this cultural identity that we've come from that we've been raised with. For men and women, it's so difficult for us to, to pull off those cultural norms that we've been living with our whole lives. But men are invited to treat their wives with the same kind of respect and dignity that they would want to be treated with. That's a novel idea, isn't it, for a lot of men? That we would actually treat them like we want to be treated, but it's biblical. I'll show you that verse in just a moment. Men are to treat their wives with respect. Just let that word respect bump around in your empty brain. That brain that's not thinking about anything right. Men, join me. Let respect fill that void. We're supposed to treat our wives with dignity. We're supposed to cherish them as the, the apple of our, the only thing that we look at. We treat our wives with humility, not thinking of ourselves better than them. We serve our wives. And biblically, we actually give up our lives for their lives. Just like Jesus laid down his life for the church, we are asked to lay down our lives for our wives. If you really think about this, I say this in when I do weddings all the time. But the husband's role is actually a more serious, more sacrificial role, biblically, than the wife's role. We need to value the opinion of our wives. So when we listen, we listen to understand, we also listen to value what they say, that their opinion actually matters to us. You know, the word here, the showing honor, is the same word that Paul uses in reference to bondservants to their masters. It's the exact same word. The same way that a, that a bondservant would respond to his master is the same word used here for, what, for husbands in relationship with their wives. Basically, husbands, we are invited to do whatever it takes to lead and to demonstrate the love of Christ to our spouses. What an amazing thing. Love, by the way, is not demanding. Love leads. Love is not demeaning. In other words, it doesn't cut you down. Love builds a person up. Our job is not to be the, the, the most critical person in the family. Our job is to, to build up our family. 
Love her like Jesus loves the church. Love her like you love yourself. That's really where I think it makes sense to most men. Most of us, man or, men or women, love themselves dearly. I don't know if you know that or not. But you are your most favorite person in the world. <laughs> we love ourselves. And Jesus is saying, love your spouse like you love yourself. Look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own what? Bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Paul is saying here, there's not a single person who doesn't like themselves or love themselves. So based on that understanding of how much you adore yourself, adore your wife at least that much. I think we can do that, right? No, we can't. Only with God's love, God's power can we be this person. That's to the wives and to the husbands. We each have a role that is only possible through the power of Jesus Christ. But we need to take our roles very seriously. Husbands, when you don't treat your spouses correctly, God does not answer your prayers. That's what it says there, right? Your prayers are hindered. I love what one theologian said. He says, the size of the injured wife come between the husband's prayers and God's hearing. The size of the injured wife block the prayers of a husband to his father, to God. It says that your prayers are hindered if you don't respect and honor your wife as a fellow heir. Love must be sacrificial. Love must be purifying. Love which drags a person down is false. Any love which coerces instead of refining the character which necessitates deceit, which weakens the moral fiber, is not love. Real love is the great purifier of life. I told my wife the other day she should embrace her mistakes, so she hugged me. Yeah. That's just a joke. I never said that to Dana. Yeah, yeah. Husbands are asked to love their spouses like Jesus loved the church. Look, what does love require? It required of Jesus that he die on the cross. So when you're thinking of yourself in terms of how you operate in your marriage, you need to have the mindset as a man of the same mindset of Jesus Christ who humbled himself on the cross and who died for the salvation of the church. We are sitting here today as, as followers of Christ because of what an amazing sacrifice that Jesus made humbling himself to the point of death. I think we also need to ask this question as men and women, husbands and wives, what rights would I forego for the sake of leading someone to salvation? What rights would I say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm okay, putting this aside so that I can show my family that Jesus loves them? What would that be? Followers of Christ are asked often to ask that question. What would you give up so that someone else could gain Christ? What would you give up? 
What amount of suffering would I endure for God's sake? Right? What is more important to me, my comfort or God's mission? We need to live for God and his purposes. Instead of thinking, what do I have to give up? Ask, what can I live for? And we look in our context as followers of Christ in the context of marriage, we need to ask that question. What have I given up here? No. What am I supposed to live for? In Christ, as a child of God, we are living for him always. That's what ultimately gives meaning in life, even if you're in the best marriage of all. It's living for Christ. We're invited to make that, not a sacrifice, but to make that commitment in following Christ with joy. In this passage, wives along with men living with Gentiles, men living as slaves, women living with unsaved husbands are being asked if they would live for God's purposes. Submitting to every human institution, submitting to the emperor, submitting to local government, submitting to owners, submitting to husbands so that others would also glorify God. That's the invitation. How do I function in a place I did not choose, in a place I have no control? I live for God's purposes. I live in such a way that I can win people without even one word. I demonstrate that love in my, in my marriage by not using words that are hurtful and painful. I, I show them Christ's love by my behavior. And I place my hope in God. I don't place my hope in my spouse. As wonderful as my wife is, and she's amazing, she and I both agree that we cannot be each other's grounding of hope. Our hope for both of us is in Christ, not in each other. And I can tell you from experience that our marriage actually works when both of us are kneeling before the Father and getting direction from Him. And our hope and sustenance comes from Him. And then we come back into the marriage. We love because Christ asks us to marry. I love Dana not because Dana wants me to, although that's a good motivation. But I love Dana because God wants me to. God wants me to demonstrate His love for the church to my wife. And so Dana can expect all kinds of things from me. But Jesus' expectation of me is much greater. And God is able to empower me to be this husband in that marriage. The same with Dana. God is able to empower Dana to be whatever she needs to be so that I can see Jesus. And Dana chooses to submit because of her higher calling that is in Christ Jesus. I'm glad she loves me. I mean, I'm the recipient of this amazing love. But at the same time, I know what her motivation is. It is because Jesus has loved her. That's why she loves me. And it makes for a really, really sweet marriage. We place our hope in God. And then I work on the beauty that counts, right? I focus my energies on what really is beautiful, this imperishable beauty from within, men and women. We need to work towards making what's inside of us, what motivates us, what inspires us, make that beautiful, is the fact that we're children of God, this imperishable identity that we have in Christ. Children of God, let that be your motivator. Let that make you, let that be what makes you handsome. Let that be what makes you beautiful. Spend your energies there instead of buying a new Gucci bag. If you need more makeup, yes, fine, but invest in your insides. 
more so than your outsides. There's no jewelry enough to hide a broken heart. There's not enough perfume, hair dye, and all kinds of other things that we would put on our side to mask the death that lives inside of us. Christ can transform you from within and out. It doesn't matter what you wear on the outside. You become beautiful. Work on that. And then live without fear. Live in peace. We're surrounded by a world of of frightening things. It could be your spouse. But we are invited to live in peace. That peace that only comes from God. The peace that passes all understanding. You know, we're, we're asked to live in that context. What does love require? Well, we each have to answer that question ourselves this morning. Your marriage, is it time for a divorce? Is it time to continue to be part of this marriage? Is it time for me to look forward to being married someday instead of just being f- scared to death of marriage? What is it? But whatever God's call is, whatever your choice is, God is asking you to live out as a child of God in that context. And God will give you the power that you need to live that out in that context. We're invited to live as children of God regardless of where we find ourselves. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you for your grace. Lord, thank you for the institution of marriage, which which shows your love for the church. Lord Jesus... All of us who are married are living examples of your grace and uh, living examples of what you did for us on the cross. Lord Jesus, may we be good examples of that. Lord, we commit this morning to truly live out as children of God. And Lord, that that would be our motivation over everything else. We ask God for your strength to be these people. Lord, help us in situations, Father, where we have trouble even standing because it's so difficult. Lord, help us to stand as your children. Help us to understand our identity as as a royal priesthood chosen by you. And Lord, help us in your strength to be who you want us to be. We give you praise, Father, because we know in you all things are possible. Lord, we praise you that uh, you love us with a love that is extraordinary. It's, It's complete and perfect love. And so, Lord, we accept that this morning. We receive that. And Lord, we trust you, God, that you will give us what we need to live in the context that we live in. We give you praise, Father. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you'll join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.